We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 318 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, May 19, 2022. It is nice to be with you. I hope you are well. I hope that you are doing better than the stock market. Uh, another horrendous day for the stock market on Wednesday. You know, on the one hand, right now is an excellent time to invest because the market has been cratering. Uh, on the other hand, right now, if you have money in the market, uh, this is not fun, okay? This is not fun at all. Well, we hopefully can have some fun on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I can't promise you anything, but I'll try. I can at least try, right? I can do that. Uh, someone who is making good money now is the Commander's first-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, receiver Jahan Dotson. Multiple reports on Wednesday that Dotson has signed his rookie contract. Boy, the rookie wage scale in the NFL really has changed everything, right? I mean, there was a time during which first-round picks held out all of the time, right? Remember that? First-round picks would hold out constantly. Uh, Those days are totally over and have been over for more than a decade now. The 2011 draft was the first one for which we had the rookie wage scale. And ever since then, the problem of first-round holdouts has disappeared to the point where first-round picks signing contracts isn't really even news anymore. But good to have Jahan Dodson. Good to have Commander Jahan uh, on board. Someone who is not on board for the Commanders, however, is James Bradbury. Uh, And he is instead getting on board with the NFC East rival Philadelphia Eagles. So the news breaking on Wednesday that Bradbury has agreed on a one-year contract with the Eagles. Uh, Bradbury, of course, played for Ron Rivera during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach. The Commanders signing Bradbury seemed like a Commanders match made in heaven, right? But the match did not happen. Uh, And so next segment, I want to talk about that. And more globally, this Commanders 2022 offseason as a whole, the team has done very little in free agency in terms of signing external free agents. Why is that? And is that a problem? Or is that actually the right way to go? Speaking of contracts, uh, we on Wednesday evening had a major report from the Washington Post on the contract situations of the Nationals' Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. It turns out that each guy is in the final guaranteed season of his contract. Who knew? Well, I I hope that Mike and Davey knew, but coming up, I'll discuss the potential for both Mike and Davey to be out after this season. Now, I'm not saying that both of those guys being out after this season is likely, but that is now more possible than we thought, especially when you consider the Nats' ownership uncertainty. I'll also discuss a wild game for the Nats on Wednesday night, but what was a win for the Nats on Wednesday night, a 5-4-10 inning win at the Miami Marlins to avoid a three-game sweep. And I'll talk Orioles. They, on Wednesday night, lost again. Uh, The O's now have lost six consecutive games, 3-2 the final to the New York Yankees at Royal Park at Camden Yards. But there were multiple positives 
for the O's in the game, namely Austin Hayes and Jordan Lyles. I'll talk about those guys during our Orioles segment. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of tweets off the Eagles and not the Commanders signing James Bradbury. Tweet from Thomas. Washington doesn't appear to be interested in signing any free agents, literally any. Tweet from Schmitty. Disappointing. My only reasoning is they're comfortable with their outside cornerback unit, Kendall Fuller, William Jackson III, Benjamin St. Juice, and more interested in adding a pure slot player. If so, several good veteran options still on the market. Kyle Fuller, Chris Harris, A.J. Boye, Daryl Roberts, and Tory McTire. And yes, of course, Daryl Roberts and Tory McTire both were with Washington last season. Tweet from Commander Cole. Uh, can't upset WJ3 or BSJ. Gotta protect their feelings after years of great play <laughs> in D.C. Uh, email from Matthias Caro on my conversation with former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan on Wednesday's show, episode 317. Yeah, if you missed that, I would highly encourage you to check that out. Scott was excellent. Uh, the subject of Matthias's email is made my morning and writes Matthias, that's what I needed on a hump day, Al. Hearing from one Scott McLuhan, bravo, well done. For what it's worth, I imagine Scott is probably restricted from saying a lot because of legal reasons, but boy, he said it all when he referred to Brucifer as Mr. Allen. Keep it going strong. <laughs> Thank you for the email, Matthias. Email from Dr. Sabah, one of my favorites. Dr. Sabah writing about the commanders. Dr. Sabah, as many of you know, a massive supporter of Taylor Heineke. She is very pro Tay-Tay. Uh, writes Dr. Sabah, I know it's been a while since my last email to you. I've been caught up in my Tar Heels basketball run. Those two wins versus Duke were so awesome. Anyway, let's get down to business. So let me get this right. Last season, we had the toughest NFL schedule, which included facing top quarterbacks, having a 30th or so ranked defense, and during our round robin, having COVID slash injuries disrupt us tremendously. And our quarterback, who was not a QB1, according to Rod Rivera and the experts, won seven out of the 15 games he started, including beating Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and Derek Carr. And if not for COVID, one could argue that this same quarterback would have at least split with Philly, and we would likely have been the wildcard team instead of Philly. So this year, we have the easiest NFL schedule, an extra home game, unlike an extra away game last year. No Brady, Wilson, or Carr, nor Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen on the schedule. More offensive weapons, Jahan Dodson and hopefully a healthy Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, and J.D. McKissick. A running back in Brian Robinson Jr., who will not fumble, unlike Antonio Gibson, who led the league in fumbles for a running back. And of course, we have an upgrade at quarterback, a franchise quarterback, according to Ron Rivera and the experts, but it's acceptable to win eight to nine games. So you are telling me it's worth an extra $28 million and draft capital to win one to two more games than Heineke did, as Heineke had the Chargers game one if only Gibson didn't fumble it away and would have beaten Philly if he had not had COVID. Absolutely not. If Carson Wentz does not win 13 games with this easy as pie schedule as compared to last year's, no COVID protocols, more offensive weapons, to me, this coming season is an epic failure. If Carson Wentz does not change the trajectory of our team, the trade is a failed trade. If Carson Wentz is so much better than Taylor Heineke, why has Vegas put our over-under wins at seven and a half? I guess I'm not so crazy after all. What say you, as always, Al? I love your podcast. Well, thank you for the email, Sabah. Sabah! is the best. And, you know, with Sabah being a big North Carolina fan, no mention of Sam Howell in that email. Sabah, you got to be excited about Sam Howell being selected by our commanders in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Anyway, long live Taylor Heineke, all right? Long live Tay-Tay. Let's get it there, Heineke. Heineke. Yes, thank you. As Chase Young said late in the 2020 season, Heineke. Uh, when I have talked about the Commanders winning eight or nine games this coming season as a bar, uh, that has been regarding a bar for an acceptable season for the team and potentially for Ron Rivera keeping his job 
as head coach of the team. I promise you that the hope within the team is that it's going to do much better than eight or nine wins in the 2022 season. The hope within the team is that this coming season will result in the commanders winning at least 10 games, uh, which would be a three-game improvement from 2021. As far as Carson Wentz being an upgrade over Taylor Heineke, I can't speak for others. I can only speak for myself. Uh, What I have said is that Wentz last season was better than Heineke was last season. That's undeniable, okay? There's no debating that. Uh, What you also have to admit is that Wentz is more physically gifted than Heineke is. But of course, none of this guarantees that Wentz this coming season is going to be good. None of this guarantees that Wentz this coming season will be better than Heineke was last season. Uh, And yes, it is notable that Vegas, which knows of what it speaks, generally has that commander's over-under win total at just seven and a half. Uh, Vegas is not buying into the easier schedule and Carson Wentz over Taylor Heineke being an upgrade as much as many of the fans of the team are. Uh, That is true. Well, what's also true is that if you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more then the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace, you see, is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. So before I get into the commanders not signing corner James Bradbury and what exactly is going on with the commanders not being more active in free agency this offseason, I want to make something clear. I am not one of these people who is extremely bothered by the commanders having not done more in free agency this offseason. Generally speaking, big money free agency in all sports is a sucker's game. Okay, the amount of big money free agent contracts in the NFL, MLB, the NBA and the NHL that do not work out is staggering. And specific to the NFL, one of the funniest things to me is how every offseason we have big money free agent signings over which people go crazy. And then as time goes on, a good number of the players who signed those big money free agent contracts get released before those contracts are complete. Arguably, the number one safety in free agency in the 2019 NFL offseason was, yes, Landon Collins. He signed with a team then known as the Redskins. That team, now the Commanders, released Collins in March. Uh, Arguably, the number one tight end in free agency in the 2020 NFL offseason was Austin Hooper. He signed with the Cleveland Browns. They released Hooper in March. Uh, Arguably, the number one corner in free agency in the 2020 NFL offseason was James Bradbury. He signed with the New York Giants. They just released him on May 9th. Although him being released by the Giants seemed to have at least as much to do with the Giants' salary cap problems as him being released by the Giants had to do with his performance with the Giants. Uh, The Giants' now former general manager, Dave Gettleman, left the Giants with a big salary cap mess. Now, 
As you likely know, Gettleman was once GM of the Carolina Panthers. He was the Panthers GM from January 2013 to July 2017. The Panthers head coach during Gettleman's tenure as the team's GM, of course, was our current commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, and a key corner for the Panthers for part of that tenure, 2016 through 2019, was James Bradbury. I advocated for the commanders to sign Bradbury off him having been released by the Giants. Uh, A, because the commanders are lacking in depth at corner. B, because Bradbury is still relatively young. This coming season will be just his age 29 season. C, because Bradbury has been durable. He, over his six NFL seasons, has played in 92 of a possible 97 regular season games. And he, over the last five seasons, has played in 79 of a possible 81 regular season games. And D, because Ron Rivera knows Bradbury well. And so presumably, there's a relationship there. But the commanders did not sign James Bradbury. Uh, We on Wednesday morning had the news that the Philadelphia Eagles had agreed with Bradbury on a one-year contract. So not only did the commanders not get Bradbury, but an NFC East rival in the Eagles got Bradbury. Uh, More on the Eagles in a bit. The contract is a one-year contract, $7.25 million guaranteed per ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter. So note, it's not like Bradbury is costing the Eagles a ton of money. I mean, he's not signing with the Eagles for peanuts, but he's also not signing some ultra-lucrative multi-year contract. It was said when the Giants released Bradbury that the commanders may not be able to afford Bradbury. So let's get to that. Uh, A lot has been made this offseason of the commanders having minimal salary cap space due to them having made the trade for quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, Wentz for the 2022 season has a salary cap hit of $28.3 million. And there is certainly some truth to this idea of the commander's salary cap space having been eaten up quite a bit by this trade for Wentz. But what's also true is that the commanders created cap space when they on March 16th announced the releasing of four players, uh, left guard Eric Flowers, interior defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis, Buffalo Nickel, Landon Collins, and safety DeShazer Everett. Collins was designated as a post-June 1st cut. Understand the following. The commanders per OverTheCap.com entered Wednesday number 19 in the NFL in effective salary cap space at $5.38 million. The Eagles per OverTheCap.com entered Wednesday number 18 in the NFL ineffective salary cap space at $6.25 million. Uh, Not that much difference between the commander's cap situation and the Eagles' cap situation. And yet the Eagles, not the commanders, have agreed with James Bradbury on a one-year contract. Now, do not take me saying that as me thinking that the commanders just so obviously blew it in not signing James Bradbury. Uh, There are a variety of possibilities here. One possibility is that the commanders made a very competitive offer to Bradbury, and he just preferred to sign with the Eagles. Uh, Giants insider Jordan Ronan of ESPN tweeted the following on Wednesday morning, quote, James Bradbury wanted to put himself in a winning situation. This was a key part of everything that unfolded the past few months. He had better deals out there, but chose the Eagles, end quote. Uh, Another possibility is that the commanders just weren't that interested in signing Bradbury. Keep this in mind, Ron Rivera, who knows Bradbury well from their time together with the Panthers, essentially chose Kendall Fuller over Bradbury in free agency in the 2020 offseason. As best as we can tell, Washington in the 2020 offseason did not go hard after Bradbury. Uh, In fact, I found this looking through my notes on Wednesday. Jets insider Connor Hughes of The Athletic on March 10th, 2020 tweeted, that the Redskins might not be as invested in James Bradbury as many originally believed. Well, what happened? The Skins in that 2020 offseason signed Kendall Fuller. The Giants in that 2020 offseason signed James Bradbury. So if Ron in the 2020 offseason essentially chose Fuller over Bradbury, why would Ron now, two years later, be all hot and heavy for Bradbury? You know? So you have to consider the possibilities here instead of just the knee-jerk reaction of killing the commanders. But here's a key difference, right? James Bradbury in the 2020 offseason cost a lot of money. James Bradbury in this 2022 offseason did not cost a lot of money. 
And especially given the commander's need to have a step forward season in the 2022 season, as Ron Rivera keeps telling us, and given that Washington's secondary last season had major problems, and given that the commanders right now are lacking in depth at corner, I do think that signing Bradbury would have made a lot of sense. Uh, Did the commanders want Bradbury and he just didn't want them? Did the commanders just not want Bradbury? Could there be something more going on? Uh, Did you see these tweets from Commanders Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington on Wednesday morning? Quote, Washington not signing James Bradbury isn't about fit or desire. He fits and they like him. It's about money. Since the Wentz acquisition and not reworking his deal, the commanders have been out on high-value free agents. As always, follow the money. Other teams choose to restructure. Washington doesn't. Could be about long-term roster building. Could be about cash flow. Could be a lot of things. End quote. Uh, For the record, I'm fine with the commanders having not restructured Carson Wentz's contract. Having the ability to get out of the Wentz contract after this coming season without having any dead money is a huge plus. And so I would not mess with that if I'm the commanders. But that cash flow point by JP was interesting. You know, there is a theory that Dan Snyder may be having a cash flow problem in part because of the team's hideous attendance at games at FedEx Field and also because Dan bought out his three now former minority partners, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith last year. You know, doing that wasn't cheap, even though Dan bought those guys out at a discounted price. But remember, the NFL's finance committee made a special exemption for a $450 million debt waiver for Dan to buy out Shaw, Rothman, and Smith. Uh, But put aside the why behind the commanders not signing James Bradbury. Heck, put aside the commanders not signing Bradbury, period. What about this commander's offseason as a whole? Is it a problem that the commanders this offseason haven't signed more free agents? Now, again, I come back to what I said at the start of this segment. Generally speaking, big money free agency in all sports is a sucker's game. But that doesn't mean that all big money free agent contracts don't work out. And of course, not every free agent contract is a big money contract. The commanders this offseason have signed just four significant external free agents, uh, all of whom played for the Panthers at one point. Uh, Guard Andrew Norwell, defensive lineman F.A. Obata, guard Trey Turner, and receiver returner Alex Erickson. Those are the four significant external free agents signed by the commanders this offseason in the order in which they were signed. Norwell, Obata, Turner, and Erickson. Now, the commanders this offseason have re-signed a good number of significant free agents. And, you know, when I say significant, I mean significant to varying degrees. But the commanders this offseason have re-signed offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas, running back J.D. McKissick, receiver Cam Sims, center Keith Ismail, safety Bobby McCain, corner Danny Johnson, edge defender Daniel Wise, edge defender Bunmi Rotimi, and kickers Joey Sly and Brian Johnson. And of course, uh, also this offseason has been the commanders trading for quarterback Carson Wentz. So it's not like the commanders have done nothing this offseason. And you could argue that the trade for Wentz on its own represents the commanders getting significantly better this offseason. And so here to me is the fair thing to wonder about the commanders lack of signing external free agents this offseason. Are the commanders behaving with appropriate urgency this offseason? And the answer may well be yes, okay? But I don't think it's unfair to wonder about that question, to ponder that question. You know, we in theory have urgency of Ron Rivera for months having been saying that the commanders in the 2022 season need to have a step forward season. We, in theory, have urgency off the trade for a veteran quarterback in Carson Wentz on whom the commanders are going to have to make a decision in the 2023 offseason in terms of whether to get out of his contract, which the team can get out of without incurring any dead money. Uh, We, in theory, have urgency given the new name, the rebrand, and the importance from a business standpoint of the first season with the new name being a good season 
We, in theory, have urgency given that the team, now known as the Commanders, hasn't had a winning regular season since the 2016 regular season and hasn't had a double-digit win regular season since the 2012 regular season. So we, this Commanders offseason, have all of these reasons for urgency for the Commanders, and yet the team has signed a mere four significant external free agents. And while generally speaking, big money free agency in all sports is a sucker's game, low-cost free agency is basically a no-lose game. Because even if a low-cost free agent acquisition doesn't work out, the acquisition didn't cost you that much. So it's really no harm, no foul. Uh, But Ron Rivera, during his time as Washington head coach, has done his best work in free agency with low-cost signings. Think Ronald Darby. Think Logan Thomas. Think J.D. McKissick. Think Cornelius Lucas. Think Wes Schweitzer. Think Charles Leno Jr. Think DeAndre Carter. Uh, James Bradbury this offseason was a low-cost free agent signing, but the Eagles got him, not the Commanders. Uh, If the Commanders could have signed Bradbury but didn't, you do have to wonder why. You know, if just a little more money would have gotten Bradbury to sign with the Commanders and not the Eagles, why not just offer him a few extra dollars? But if the Commanders didn't truly want Bradbury, well, then that's a different story. And if Bradbury just wanted the Eagles more than he wanted the Commanders, then that's a different story. You know, the Eagles are getting a lot of shine for their 2022 offseason right now, uh, trading for receiver A.J. Brown, signing edge defender Hassan Reddick, drafting interior defensive lineman Jordan Davis and linebacker N'Kobe Dean, now signing corner James Bradbury. The Eagles last season made the playoffs as a wild card team, and now this offseason have made some big moves. Uh, there is an excitement. There is juice to the Eagles right now, as much as I do not like saying that. Uh, now, hey, maybe the 2022 Eagles end up being yet another NFL offseason darling that flops, or maybe <laughs> the 2022 Eagles end up doing well and make all of us Commanders fans say, why didn't our team in the 2022 offseason do as the Eagles did? In sports as in life, the result drives the narrative. If the Commanders have a really good 2022 season, then Ron Rivera and his crew will look very smart. And all of this angst over the Commanders having not done more in the 2022 offseason will look foolish. But if the Commanders do not have a good 2022 season, then there's a good chance that their lack of activity in the 2022 offseason will be seen as having been a bad thing. Now, the lack of activity may be by design. The lack of activity may be by default, i.e. the team is just missing on targets as the team missed on Russell Wilson. Whatever the case, it really has become hard to ignore that the commanders this offseason, beyond the trade for Carson Wentz, really have not done much in terms of acquiring veteran players. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. A wild win for the Nats on Wednesday night. This off some significant news on Wednesday evening regarding Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. I'll get to all of that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, Wednesday night was a strange night for the Nationals. Wednesday night was a long night for the Nationals, but Wednesday night was a victorious night for the Nationals. Uh, They won for just the seventh time in 26 games since the team's sixth and seventh start to the season. A 5-4-10 inning win at the Miami Marlins to avoid a three-game sweep. Nats manager, Davey Martinez, he can be proud of the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, proud of the boys. We are not able to play that with any kind of frequency these days with uh, the way that things have been going for the Nats. But it's nice to hear Davey be proud of the boys uh, off a win on Wednesday night. Uh, Speaking of Davey, we have some news on him and on his boss, Nats President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo to get into in a bit. But first, the game. Uh, It was a marathon, man. Uh, The game took three hours, 56 minutes. Yes, nearly four hours of Nets Marlins on Wednesday night. God bless those of us who watched this thing. Uh, But we had craziness in this game. Craziness in the bottom of the ninth. A blown save by Tanner Rainey on a play that initially was thought to have ended the game. Uh, So Tanner Rainey in the bottom of the ninth suffered his second blown save of the season, his second consecutive uh, blown save in a save opportunity. He allowed a run to tie the game at four. Rainey gave up a leadoff infield single to Jesus Sanchez. Rainey issued a one-out six-pitch walk of Miguel Rojas, despite Rojas having been down to the count at 1.02. Rainey issued another walk, a one-out five-pitch walk of Eric Gonzalez to load the bases, and then Rainey gave up a one-out RBI sack fly to Jazz Chisholm Jr., to tie the game at four, even though the play initially was ruled as a game-ending double play due to Jesus Sanchez having left third base too early. Now, a lengthy, and I mean lengthy, replay review, uh, in my opinion, correctly determined that Sanchez had not left third base early, but that was some stretch right there because the game was slipping away with Tanner Rainey not looking good, And then all of a sudden, you get this like miracle game-ending double play. And then it turns out that the double play was not a double play. It was, in fact, a game-tying RBI sack fly. But I do think that the right call ultimately was arrived at. And so we, for the first time this Nats season, had an extra inning game. And coming through for the Nats in the top of the 10th was the Nats' hero of Wednesday night, K-Bert Ruiz. Uh, The Nats acquired Ruiz in starting pitcher Josiah Gray from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized last July 31st. That trade, of course, was the premier trade in the Nats' mega sell-off last late July. Well, we saw both Ruiz and Gray deliver for the Nats on Wednesday night. Uh, Ruiz in that Nats' one-run tenth, a one-out RBI double down the left field line for a 5-4 Nats lead, capping a game in which he got on base five times. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz on Wednesday night as an ad-starting catcher and number six batter went three for three with an RBI double, another double, a single, and two walks. Uh, He was an on-base machine in this game. Ruiz in an ad's two-run second had a leadoff first pitch double to right field. Ruiz in the top of the third drew a two-out seven-pitch walk. Ruiz in the top of the sixth had a leadoff opposite field single to left field. Ruiz in the Nats' one-run eighth drew a five-pitch walk. And Ruiz in the Nats' one-run tenth had a one-out RBI double down the left field line 
for a 5-4 Nats lead. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on KBert Ruiz. I cannot say enough about Kaber. What a tremendous game he had, honestly. Behind the plate, hitting, um, everything. I mean, good all-around player, and he's getting better. You know, like I said, he, every time he's out there, he's getting better. Um, well, yeah, he, he definitely, for us, was starting. Yeah, it was cool to hear Davey Martinez rave about Kaber Ruiz right there. Tremendous game for Kaber Ruiz on Wednesday night. You know, he hasn't been great so far this season, but he certainly hasn't been, like, terrible so far this season. And you look at Kaber Ruiz now, he this season has an on-base percentage of 344. Well, uh, that's quite good, especially for a catcher. Now, he's only slugging 382. He's only hit one home run, but a 344 on-base percentage, that plays, especially again at the position of catcher, which is a position at which there just aren't many good offensive players these days. Uh, this was a strange game, though, for the Nats on Wednesday night. You know, they won despite their numbers two through four batters. Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Nelson Cruz going a combined 0 for 11, though those three players did total four walks. Uh, Juan Soto had three of the walks. He has an at starting right fielder, a number two batter, went 0 for 2 with three walks, also had a stolen base. Uh, but Bell, as an at starting first baseman and number three batter, went 0 for 5. You know, Bell has cooled off here lately, and uh, Cruz basically has been cool, has been cold uh, for the entirety of this season. He looked like he was maybe busting out, but his last few games have not gone well. Uh, Cruz on Wednesday night as an at starting DH and number four batter, 0 for 4 with a walk and two strikeouts. But the Nats on Wednesday night had Kaber Ruiz, also had Cesar Hernandez. Uh, he, as the Nats starting second baseman and number one batter, went two for five with a triple and an RBI double. Uh, Hernandez in the Nats one run first had a full count leadoff triple to right field to conclude a nine pitch plate appearance against the Marlins starting pitcher, Pablo Lopez. I tell you, the Nats did a really nice job in this game of getting Lopez out of the game early, working a bunch of counts against Lopez. Hernandez uh, set the tone with that nine-pitch plate appearance that resulted in his full-count leadoff triple in that Nats one-run first inning. And then in the next inning, what ended up being a Nats two-run second, Hernandez had a two-out full-count RBI double off the right field warning track for a 3-1 Nats lead despite having been down in the count at one point. 0-2. Alcides uh, Escobar had a big hit for the Nats on Wednesday night. He is a Nats starting shortstop and number eight batter went one for four with an RBI double. Uh, Escobar in that Nats two-run second to two-out RBI double to left field for a 2-1 Nats lead. And Michael Franco on Wednesday night had two hits. He is a Nats starting third baseman and number seven batter went two for five with two singles. Uh, he in the top of the six had an opposite field single through the right side of the infield. And Franco in the Nats one-run eighth had an opposite opposite field single to right field to load the bases. Like I said, strange game. Nats win. They win by one run despite having 19 at-bats with runners in scoring position. How about this? The Nats on Wednesday night, four for 19 with runners in scoring position. The Marlins on Wednesday night, 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. So you can't sit here and say it was a great game for the Nats offensively, but uh, this certainly was a better game for the Nats offensively as compared to so much of what we have seen so far this season. Uh, now to Josiah Gray. So Gray in this Nats 5-4-10 inning win at the Marlins on Wednesday night wasn't great, uh, but I thought that he was pretty good. He allowed three runs in six innings, which yes, does work out to a 450 ERA, even though three runs in six innings uh, technically is a quality start. Uh, Gray on Wednesday night gave up six hits, a homer, a triple, and four singles. He did issue a hit by pitch and a wild pitch, but he had seven strikeouts versus no walks. I mean, you love that. Seven strikeouts versus no walks, and he threw a bunch of strikes, 65 strikes versus just 30 balls over 95 pitches. Uh, Gray in the bottom of the first allowed a run. He gave up a leadoff triple to Jazz Chisholm Jr. off the right field wall, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. Uh, each team's leadoff batter began his team's first inning with a triple on Wednesday night. And then Gray gave up an RBI sack fly to Jesus Aguilar to tie the game at one in that bottom of the first. Uh, Gray in the bottom of the third allowed a run, but the run came in an inning that could have been much worse. Uh, Gray gave up a first pitch leadoff single to Miguel Rojas up the middle, then gave up an opposite field single to Eric Gonzalez on a 1-2 pitch to right field, then issued a wild pitch, then issued a hit-by-pitch of Jazz Chisholm Jr. despite him having been down to the count at 1.12 to load the bases with no outs. So bases loaded, nobody out, and yet the Marlins only ended up scoring one run, and the run scored on a sack fly. Uh, Gray gave up a one-out RBI sack fly to Garrett Cooper to cut the Nats' lead 
to 3-2. So shame on Josiah Gray for loading the bases with nobody out, but praise to Josiah Gray for only allowing the one run uh, in that bottom of the third inning. And then Gray in the bottom of the fifth gave up a leadoff full count homer to Jazz Chisholm Jr., who just killed the Nats on Wednesday night. Uh, this home run was to right center field, tied the game at three, despite Chisholm having been down in the count at 1.12. And the homer was some shot when it projected 412 feet for StatCast. So, you know, there were some things to not love from Josiah Gray in this outing. But all things considered, I thought that there was more good than bad. Like I said, seven strikeouts versus no walks. I love that. Uh, Josiah Gray now over eight starts this season. ERA of 436. Uh, a strikeouts per nine innings of 9.55. He's averaging more than a strikeout per inning. Uh, the Nats' bullpen on Wednesday night was good beyond Tanner Rainey. Rainey struggled. Three other Nats relievers did not. Uh, Coral Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. And Victor Arano tossed a perfect bottom of the tenth inning. Uh, now to this news regarding Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. So Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post and MLB insider Chelsea James of the Washington Post on Wednesday evening reported new details on the contracts of Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. And the new details are that it turns out that each guy is in the final guaranteed year of his contract. Uh, so this is a bit confusing, but here's the deal. Uh, the Nats in September 2020 announced multi-year contract extensions for both Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. At the time, though, what exactly was meant by multi-year was not put out there officially by the Nats. The reporting, though, was that each guy got a three-year extension. But what the Washington Post on Wednesday evening reported was that each extension was, in fact, a two-year extension with a club option for 2023. So two years plus a club option, that's different than three years. So both Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez are in the final guaranteed years of those guys' contracts. And what makes this even more complex is that we have this ownership uncertainty with the Nats as the learners are open to selling. Uh, selling either a portion of the Nats or selling the entirety of the Nats. I personally think that the learners will be selling the entirety of the Nats. So we could have new ownership coming for the Nats. And the problem with that is we have no idea about a timetable. You know, the learners selling the Nats could happen this summer, could happen this year, could happen not until 2023, could happen not until 2024. I mean, who the heck knows? You know, this ownership uncertainty for the Nats is not a good thing. This is a big deal. And I feel like not enough of a big deal has been made of it. Because you think about the Nats right now, right? They are a rebuilding team. So you right now with the Nats have extreme baseball uncertainty. And you now also have extreme ownership uncertainty. So what this is going to mean for Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, I do not know. I mean, logically speaking, it shouldn't be that both Mike and Davey are out after this season. Because I think in the case of Mike Rizzo, he deserves the chance to general manage the Nats way out of the rut that they're currently in, even though the rut that they're currently in is in no small part due to Mike Rizzo. Okay, he has to take a good bit of the blame for the collapse of the Nats farm system and player development. Uh, I also don't think that any reasonable person blames the Nats being in the state that they're in on Davey Martinez. Uh, but you know, you think about Davey, it's interesting. So Davey became the Nats manager in October 2017. This season is his fifth season as Nats manager. He is by far the longest tenured manager for the franchise since it came to Washington, D.C., beginning with the 2005 season. But think about Davey's five seasons as Nats manager. With the exception of the glorious season, the 2019 World Series championship season, every other Nats season with Davey Martinez as manager has been a disappointing, if not bad, season. 2018, the Nats had a winning record but were considered a disappointment. 2020, in the COVID-shortened season, the Nats were not good. Last season, the Nats were horrible. And this season so far, the Nats have been horrible. Again, this is not all on Davey Martinez, okay? But that does stand out. Five seasons as Nats manager for the five seasons have been at least disappointing, if not outright bad. 
Uh, and then with Mike Rizzo, I mean, look, he overall has been tremendous as the Nats general manager. The Nats hired Mike Rizzo in July 2006, promoted him to interim general manager in March 2009, and removed the interim tag from his GM title in August 2009. The run that the Nats had 2012 through 2019, eight consecutive winning seasons, five playoff appearances, four National League East titles, and a World Series championship, an outstanding run. I mean, I think that there's a case to be made that Mike Rizzo is the second best sports executive in Washington, D.C. sports history. Number one is Bobby Beathard, the greatest general manager in Redskins history and one of the best general managers in NFL history. But you can make a compelling argument that Mike Rizzo is number two. But the truth about Rizzo is this. He is older. He is a guy with a scouting background as opposed to an analytics background. He's not like anti-analytics, but he's also not at the forefront of the analytics movement. The trend in Major League Baseball when it comes to general managers for years now has been you go younger, you go more analytically inclined, you get some Ivy League educated guy. Mike Rizzo is not that person, right? He does not fit that description. In a lot of ways, Mike Rizzo is a dinosaur uh, in the world of Major League Baseball right now, an older GM with primarily a scouting background. So, you know, moving forward for the Nats, you could argue that getting someone younger, more analytically inclined is the way to go when it comes to running the front office. But if you look at Mike Rizzo's tenure here, he does deserve the opportunity to, like I said, general manage his way out of this, general manage the Nats way out of this. But who knows what's going to come of all of this with this ownership uncertainty that we have with the Nats. But this is significant here. It turns out, per the post, that Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, each guy is, in fact, in the final guaranteed year of his contract. Each guy has a club option for the 2023 season. No game for the Nats on Thursday, which is their last scheduled off day until June 6th, if you can believe that. Uh, Next up for the Nats is a three-game series at the Milwaukee Brewers this weekend. Well, if you're an Orioles fan, there are reasons to be encouraged right now. Uh, The starting pitching so far this season has been surprisingly good. The Orioles' top two prospects, two of the top prospects in all of baseball, catcher Adley Rutschman and starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, appear to be on the verge of being called up to the majors from AAA Norfolk. And another top prospect, starting pitcher D.L. Hull, may not be far behind. But the O's right now are banged up. And They now have a six-game losing streak. Uh, The O's on Wednesday night lost their sixth consecutive game, a 3-2 loss to the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game 3 of a four-game series. The O's this season now are 10 games below 500 at 14-24. The Yankees this season now are a major league best 28-9. The O's during this six-game losing streak have totaled just 11 runs. The offense continues to be a major problem. The O's are facing some good pitching in this series against the Yankees. There's no doubt about that. The Yankees starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Garrett Cole. He allowed two runs in seven innings. Cole now over eight starts this season in ERA of 289. I do, though, want to highlight two bright spots for the O's on Wednesday night. Uh, One was Austin Hayes. So Hayes, in the Orioles' previous game, the 5-4 loss to the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night, returned from a four-game absence caused by a left-hand laceration. Hayes on Wednesday night, as the Orioles' starting left fielder and number two batter, had two doubles and a single. He had a one-out double in the bottom of the first. He had an RBI double in the Orioles' two-run six, and he had a one-out single in the bottom of the eighth. And Hayes, in that two-run six, made a beautiful head-first slide to score on a Trey Mancini one-out fielder's choice grounder to Yankees first baseman Anthony Rizzo. Hayes this season now has an OPS of 820. Uh, He, to me, has been the Orioles' best position player so far this season. Another bright spot for the O's on Wednesday night was their starting pitcher, Jordan Lyles. Uh, Lyles was good. He allowed three runs, two earned in seven innings. He had eight strikeouts versus no walks. That's outstanding. He gave up five hits, a double, and four singles. He issued a wild pitch. He threw a lot of strikes, 70 strikes versus just 36 balls over 106 pitches. Uh, Lyles in the top of the first allowed all three of the runs that he gave up in the game as they came on three consecutive two-out hits, a wild pitch, and a throwing error by catcher Anthony Bemboom. But otherwise, a lot to like. 
from Jordan Lyles on Wednesday night. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Jordan Lyles. Yeah, especially after dealing with some adversity there in the first inning, to be able to go six shutout innings after that. But he got better as the game went on. Command approved. That he kept guys off balance. Really good breaking balls and really good sinkers. Um, so after that first inning, he kind of cruised there for the next six. Yeah, Jordan Lyles in his previous start, the 4-2 loss at the Detroit Tigers this past Friday night, four runs in five and two-thirds innings. He, in that game, gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles, issued three walks, did have six strikeouts. And, you know, you look at what Lyles did in that game in terms of allowing runs. He allowed just one run over his first five innings, then had problems in a bottom of the sixth for which he was charged with three runs, including giving up a one-out solo homer to Miguel Cabrera. But Lyles, over eight starts this season, has an ERA of 4.11. I mean, that's not great, but that's a lot better than the 5.60 ERA that Lyles posted over the last two seasons for the Texas Rangers. Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night, got asked if Jordan Lyles has been better this season than Hyde thought that Lyles would be. Here was Hyde's answer. Well, I've seen Jordan pitch really well, so uh, um, I think he's doing what we were, thought he was going to do. And this is an extremely tough division to pitch in. He's answered the bell every time. He's given us a chance to win every time out, and he did that again tonight. Um, he's an ultra competitor, doesn't not want to come out of the game, feels like it's his game, and I appreciate that about him. Yeah, the O's are Jordan Lyles' seventh major league team. The O's signed him in March to a one-year contract with a club option for 2023. The deal only guarantees Lyles $7 million. So he has been a nice bargain for the O's so far this season. Uh, What is his age 31 season? Also for the O's on Wednesday night, Jorge Mateo was back. He returned from a two-game absence caused by left shoulder and chest contusions. Mateo as the Orioles' starting shortstop and number seven batter went 0 for 3. Game 4 for the O's against the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Thursday afternoon at 12.35. Bruce Zimmerman will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 319, will feature something special regarding the Commanders. I'll also talk Orioles as they conclude their four-game series with the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Thursday afternoon, beginning at 12.35. The O's will be trying to avoid a four-game sweep. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Let's get it there, Heineke! Heineke!